If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in the in the book of James again. I'm glad that James decided to write his epistle. It was needed. If for nobody else, it was needed for me. So I'm having a wonderful time in the book of James, and it's been an excellent epistle from a brother who truly cares about the salvation of his brethren. James cares so much about his brethren at the time that he wrote this epistle, including a multitude of ways to check yourself and for them to check themselves and see if they're genuine in the faith. And I think this characteristic of James should be the characteristic of all saints. We should all carry this characteristic. We should all be people who care about our brothers and sisters. How many people in here care if Brother Danny's going to make it to the kingdom or not? Well, we better care about Brother Danny. He's not here today. No, I'm just teasing. Danny's at the beach. He's enjoying some of Yahweh's, uh, Yahweh's beautiful creation. But I, but I bet he's concerned about all of us. He's concerned about all of his brothers in this congregation. The same way he's concerned, I'm sure, about us, we should be concerned about other brothers and sisters in here. We should, we should care whether or not Frankie's going to make it to the kingdom or Phyllis is going to make it to the kingdom. We should care. I remember it hadn't been that long ago. I decided that I wouldn't even talk to anybody about the scriptures. It's been probably a couple of years ago. And the reason that I said I wouldn't talk to anybody about the Bible, I just kind of quit talking to people, was because in my heart of hearts, I really didn't care whether or not somebody was saved or not. I really only cared whether or not they wanted to hear what I had to say about the Bible. And so to get rid of maybe some of the pride that was built up in me, I just said, well, I just won't talk to anybody about the scriptures. But it is important. I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like that uh, that I do care about people's soul, and I want to I want to teach and I want to share with people, and I do care whether or not my brothers and my sisters are going to make it to the kingdom. So it's important that we do that. I really believe that that's what James was thinking here. I believe he wanted his brothers to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. And in First John chapter two and verse nine, it says, "The one who says he's in the light, but he hates his brother, he's in the darkness until now." And all of this is so important. Our desire here on earth should be primarily for Yahweh, but secondarily for our, for our fellow brother. We should, we, should, uh, we should care about the welfare of others physically and spiritually. First for our family, but then also for our brothers and sisters. And I believe that James was so burdened down with the concern of salvation for his kinsmen that he wrote this epistle to help him. And guys, I believe that we're the kinsmen of James. I believe that James is, is our kinsman, and this epistle was not only written to instruct and encourage the people of James's day, but Yahweh inspired it and preserved it, and preserved it so that it be beneficial for us today as well. In Second Timothy, I think in chapter three, it says that all Scripture is inspired by Elohim and is profitable for teaching, is profitable for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of Yahweh may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, since we started this epistle, we've encountered all sorts of tests, you know, for salvation. It's laid out by James, and of course, the end of chapter 4 is no different than the rest of the book. It's just another test. And in my Bible, the subheading for the last five verses in chapter 4, it reads like this, Our will and His will. And had they not already titled this subheading that, I probably would have used that for the title of this sermon. But since they did, and I don't want to copy what they've done, I think I'll call this sermon the sovereign will of Yahweh. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Yahweh's sovereign will versus man's will and why it's so important that His will be done rather than our own. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles, take them turn them to James chapter 4. We're going to read the last five verses. 
of the fourth chapter, which is 13 through 17, will determine where we stand when challenged by the test that James gives us here. All right, James chapter 4 and verse 13, it says this. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're a bit of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If Yahweh wills, we'll live, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. But, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Now I would say there's, there's nothing that defines a Christian more so than the desire to do Yahweh's will. I believe that is the, the most important characteristic in, in one's life that, that defines his Christian nature is his desire to please Yahweh. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. And, of course, we don't always succeed, but the desire should be there. We, we're going to fail. We don't always get everything right. The desire should be there, and when we do fail, it should create some sort of humility in us. We should be shamed somehow because we didn't do what was right. David says in Psalms chapter 119, verses 33 through 35, it says, Teach me, Yahweh, the meaning of your statutes, and I'll always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I'll obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. See, Yahweh's will was David's passion. It was his utmost desire. And Yahweh's will is that you're obedient to his law and to his instruction. Yeshua defines Yahweh's will for us in John chapter 7 and verse 16 through 19. When he's, when he's speaking in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, he's talking to the Judites, I guess the Judite leaders there. And he says this to them. He's, he's kind of rebuking them. And he says, my teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he's talking about the will of Yahweh there, he says, if anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from Yahweh or if I'm speaking on my own. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Then he goes on to say, didn't Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? None of you. In other words, if you were keeping the law of Yahweh, this is what this is what Yeshua is saying. If you were keeping the law of Yahweh, you'd be in Yahweh's will, and then you could rightly distinguish whether or not I am teaching Yahweh's word. If you knew what Yahweh's word was, then you would know whether or not I'm teaching it or not. See, the reason they didn't know that Yeshua was righteous and that he was speaking according to the scriptures is because they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know Yahweh's will. In other words, they were lost. Their desire is not that of their fathers. They are not in their father's will. There's no greater example of how we should act than in Yeshua. He's our example, the perfect example that was given to us. He is our righteousness. And Yeshua says that he didn't come to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. So when you look at the perfect relationship that Yeshua had with Yahweh, you see a selfless life of one whose every move was bound up in a desire to be so ever-pleasing to his creator, or to his father. He wanted to do his father's will. His very nature was driven solely by desire for his heavenly father. And it resulted in perfect obedience. No unrighteousness in him, the scripture says. He was perfect. He kept the law perfectly. And that was the will of his father. That's what his father desired for him to do. And even though our obedience is not perfect, praise Yahweh for his son's blood that covers us. 
we should still be nonetheless characterized by a willingness to do the Father's will and desire to be what is pleasing to Him, right? I think that's the idea here. Brothers and sisters, that is what the life of a saint should look like, like Yeshua, with a desire to do the will of Yahweh by keeping His law, His instruction. In Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8, it says, I delight to do Thy will, O Yahweh. Thy law is within my heart. So I've said all that to say this, to get back to verse 13 in the book of James. Is it your strong desire to do Yahweh's will? Or is it your desire to do your own will? That's the test here that James has given us today. Are you seeking Yahweh's will, or are you the ruler of your own life? Are you the king of your own life, or is Yahweh your king? A true believer seeks to do Yahweh's will. Let's look at verse 13 again, and we'll start to go through these. Verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. James says, come now, you who say. In other words, he's saying, listen to me. Hear this. Wait just a minute. Listen to me. Let me get your attention. That's what he's trying to say. He says this here in verse 13, and he also says it one other time in, the, in, this, uh, in this epistle in chapter 5 and verse 1. It's the only two times that this is used in the New Testament. He's saying, listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. I, I want your attention. He's speaking to a people making a claim that they will go and do business somewhere. Undoubtedly, the people of Israel were businessmen, business owners, and entrepreneurs, I guess we could call them. They were then, and they still are today. I believe that we're Israelite people, and we're entrepreneurs too. Most, most of us in here probably own our own business or trade somehow like that. I believe the Israelites did that then. And one way for them to make money was to move from city to city or from town to town, setting up businesses as the town would start and grow. You know, they'd set up a business and grow with it. So James is t- talking to businessmen who here who has just, you know, set out to do this trade. That's what they're saying. We're going to go from town to town. We'll go to this town. We'll make, we'll make money there. We'll, we'll make a profit, work there for a year, make a profit. And so he's talking to them, and he's telling them, he says, look, you who say this, listen to me. You who say that you're going to make a profit, you're going to go to this town and make this money. The problem, the problem is he has constructed this plan, these businessmen, they've constructed this plan to go make a profit and to, and they have devised how they will make this happen for them, for themselves, but there's no mention of Yahweh in their plan. They don't they don't mention him at all. In other words, it's it's not so much what is said here; it's what's not said. Don't get me wrong. Any businessman that's worth anything, he has to make plans in order to be successful in his business. I think that's just common sense. It's not a bad thing to have a plan as to how you want to do something, but again, it's not exactly what is said here, but rather what's not said. These people seem to be planning as if there's no higher power. They're not consulting the will of Yahweh. And there are a lot of people that do this today, a lot of people that do this today. They don't include him in in their plans. Many people, many people profess to, to know a God or to believe in a God, but they don't include him in their plans. Well, guess what? By not including him in your plans, you're excluding him. You're excluding his will from your life. That's what you do. You you remove it. These men that James is talking to here, and I guess it could be referring to women too. I don't. Lydia was a businesswoman. She sold purple garments down by the river. Acts chapter 14. It'd be like the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says, "Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive." He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anyone to, anywhere to store my crops, I'll do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store all my grain and my goods there. 
Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But the Almighty said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards the Almighty. See, the, the rich man doesn't know the future, what the future would hold. He made big plans for big barns when he should have been making big plans for a big God. He was being his own ruler and not consulting the sovereign Yahweh or the sovereign will of Yahweh. If we don't submit to the will of Yahweh, then in essence we're attempting to remove Yahweh from his throne. That's kind of what we're doing here. And if we attempt to reign supreme over our own lives, I guarantee there'll definitely be chaos. If Yahweh's not in total control, it's, it's going to go awry. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know the end of the story. And that's what James reminded them. That's what James is reminding them of right here in verse 13 and then on into 14. Verse 14 says this. It says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're a bit of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is basically saying you're ignorant. You don't know what the future holds. You don't even know what your life will be like. Undoubtedly, he's reminding them of a proverb, Proverbs 27 and verse 1. It says this, it says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. So James tells them, hey, you're nothing but a vapor. You're just a little bit of smoke. As quick as you drifted in here, you're going to drift out of here. You have no control over your life. You're in the hands of a mighty creator, and nothing you say or do can thwart his hands. You have no idea how complex life is. It is completely beyond your control. Our little finite minds only comprehend the things that have already happened. We sure don't understand, nor do we have the ability to control what is coming or the future. We don't, we don't understand those things. We make plans as if we're invincible, but the truth is we don't know what tomorrow holds. Imagine a man that gets up in the morning. He gets ready to go to work. He brushes his hair and combs his teeth. I mean, brushes his... I'm just kidding. Combs his hair and brushes his teeth. And he heads down the step for breakfast. The problem is, about halfway down the steps, he trips and falls abruptly to the bottom. And he lands on his back and he breaks his neck. Now, this is just an example. I'm just giving you a parable. Yahweh forbid this ever happen. But the point is this. This man had his whole day planned out. But all that just, all that just got rearranged in a matter of seconds. Not only the rest of the day was messed up for him, but the rest of his life has been changed. And yet there's still some people in the world that presume that they're in charge, just like this man that got up and took off down the steps to eat his breakfast. Let me help you look at it from another point of view. And this is important if you catch it. You're not just taking life ignorantly by ignoring the knowledge and the will of Yahweh, but you're also refusing the benefit of Yahweh's will. Oh, what a blessing one misses by excusing the will of Yahweh and taking on life by themselves. To me, it gives me great peace to know that there is some supreme being who is control of absolutely everything so that I don't have to be. There is peace in not having to worry about something. There is peace in knowing that Yahweh's got everything under control. Kim says there's peace in not being in charge of the home. She likes it. She says, I wouldn't have it no other way. Yahweh did it right that way by giving, putting the man in charge and not having to make final decisions. She usually does, but... This not uh it doesn't have to be that way, you know. 
So she says there's peace in that. We we have a peace like that. We have peace that that um that Yahweh makes all the decisions for us. He's got all this stuff worked out, and all we've got to do is consult Him, and uh, let His will become our will. That's the idea here. There is a great benefit in believing in Yahweh who knows all things and controls all things for his purpose and then allows you to be a part of that purpose by his sovereign will. But by ignoring Yahweh's will, you cancel out the very thing that gives your life any meaning. If it's not if it's not for Yahweh's purpose in your life, what's the point? What's the point in living? What do you have to live for? What what greater good is there? Tell me tell me what you wake up for every day if it's not to to be of some service to Yahweh so that Yahweh can work through you. That's a blessing. So James says James says here, instead of making plans outside of Yahweh's will with our own agenda in mind, we can still make plans. We have to do that. But we should do it this way. Look at verse 15. He says, do it like this. Instead, you should say, if Yahweh wills, we will live and do this or do that. Instead, we should say, if Yahweh wills. I've heard this my whole life. If the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, I'll do this, or I'll do that, or I'll go here, or I'll go that. I've heard that. My parents said that. My grandpa said that. I've heard my whole life. James says that's how we should approach our plans. If Yahweh wills, we will live. First, we will live. He says if, he says if Yahweh wills, you will live. A minute ago, he says we're nothing but a vapor of smoke, and just as quick as we come in here, we go out of there. But if Yahweh wills, if we'll say it like this, if Yahweh wills, we will live. And then we will do something. We will do this or we'll do that. Now, it's not like that's some magical saying that makes all your selfish plans and selfish ambitions. That that saying right there doesn't make everything come to pass or to fruition. No, James isn't saying that. James is simply saying, before we make any plans, Yahweh should be at the forefront. We should consider his will before we consider ours. And if our will opposes his, it should automatically be thrown out. Do you remember what happened to the Israelites when they didn't consider Yahweh's counsel when the Gibeonites came and deceived them. In Joshua chapter 9, Joshua's just defeated Ai, one of the other kings. and I think he's fisting to rough up a few more kings, and all the kings have kind of teamed together over in Joshua chapter 9. And, and the Gibeonites, they hear about Joshua's success against Ai, and they, and they come and they say, uh, they, they come on like old donkeys and stuff like that, and they put... They use wine, old wine skins, and they're dressed in old. They got old sandals on, and their clothes are worn and tore, and this, that, and the other. And they come to Joshua and they say, "Make a treaty with us. We're we're poor, and we live a, we live amongst you out here. Make a treaty with us. We're not going to hurt you." And this, that, and the other. And they deceive them into thinking that they're poor. And the whole time they were they were strong like the rest of the cities that Joshua was facing to overthrow. They were part of them. And Yahweh had told Joshua, "Go into these cities, get rid of them, kill them." get rid of their wives, get rid of their children, get rid of their livestock, the whole nine yards. But the Gibeonites, they heard that they were coming and they deceived Joshua into doing this. And it says in verse 14, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not reading it, but I think in verse 14 it says that that Joshua and the elders, the leaders of the tribes, did not consult Yahweh in this matter. And because of that, the Gibeonites deceived them. That's why it's so very important to heed Yahweh's counsel before we make decisions on our own. Or what if Moses, what if he had just said, well, I think we'll just make this tabernacle the way that we want to make it. Yahweh gave him a big bunch of instruction, but Moses just said, instead of purple curtains and this, that, and the other, and gold inlays and things like that, we're going to use pearl and 
and uh, maybe blue. Instead of beaver skins or pelts or whatever, we're going to use sheep's hair or something like that. All the things that Yahweh give us to, gives us to do are, are very important. And it's so important that we pay attention. We were reading a while ago in Leviticus 3, and all I could think about when he said to cut the fat off the entrails and we had to use the left lobe and not the right lobe and this of the kidneys, and all that stuff is important. Yahweh's designed all of it for a reason that way, and he's, he's made it that way so that we would follow his direction, do exactly what he says, and then the outcome is exactly what Yahweh promises. But, but so many times we don't consider what Yahweh's advised us of. Instead, we just we take matters into our own hands and we try to do it our own way. And Well, the same thing happened just like for Joshua and the Gibeonites. It falls into chaos. But again, we somehow think we're in charge of everything. And as it is, we boast in our arrogance, is what James says in verse 15. In verse, let's look at verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting. Is evil. It's verse 16, not 15. I apologize. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What does that mean? Well, it means that your defiance to keep and obey Yahweh's will and your reluctance to consider Him in your plan makes your arrogance in believing that you can control the outcome of your plans. Boy, we fall into this all the time. I know, at least, at least I do anyway. Even though we might not act like this often, it still does happen. We brag about our achievements or skills or in, in something we plan or think we, we did for ourselves, but the reality of it is that we're, we're just arrogant. That's just, we're arrogant people. We think that we've, we've done this or we've done that. Yahweh's not done any of this. We're talking about it in testimony service. And we have no control over anything that has happened or will happen. And all such boasting is evil. It doesn't mean anything. I can't help but think about Belshazzar. Remember when he had the big feast and he had all the cups brought in from the treasury that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple and Daniel? He brought them in for the feast and he let all the nobles drink from them. The Bible says that they drank from the vessels and they praised their foreign gods, the, the gods of wood, the gods of silver, the gods of metal, the gods of stone. They, they drank from the vessels that were stolen from Yahweh's temple, brought them in, and they praised other gods. The Bible said that they drank from the vessels and they praised their foreign gods and then here comes the handwriting on the wall. Well, the king gets terrified and the nobles get scared and everyone starts screaming and the queen runs in and she says, Long live the king. Talking about Belshazzar. Long live the king. Don't be scared. She says, There's a, there's a man that, that interpreted dreams for your predecessor, I guess, if I'm saying it right, for Nebuchadnezzar. She, he interpreted the dreams for him, and he, he lives in the city, and you can call him, and he'll interpret the dreams, and he'll interpret the handwriting on the wall, and everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about a thing, Belshazzar. So he does. He calls Daniel, and he tells him, he says, come in and interpret this dream. He's, and Daniel tells him this. He says, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, is what the problem is. The vessels from the house, from his house were brought to you, and you drank from them, and you and your nobles praised other gods while doing so, but you've not glorified the God who holds your life breath. You messed up. You didn't glorify the God that holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand to write this on the wall. The writing said, Mene, Mene, Tekoa, Parson, if I'm saying that right. And it means that your days have been numbered. Your kingdom has been brought to an end. You've been weighed and found deficient, and so your kingdom will be divided amongst the Medes and the Persians. 
See what happened when you carried out your own will over Yahweh? Belshazzar was just having a big old feast and celebrating or bragging probably about his achievements. The Bible doesn't say exactly what he's doing right there. I'm, I may be making some exceptions, some assumptions, but I bet that he's probably making plans with the nobles of the land, making plans maybe to further the kingdom, to build it up. He's bragging. He's brought in the, these cups. I guess he decided to get out the fine china, huh? Well, needless to say, he should have consulted Daniel before he drank from these holy vessels because they were made for a righteous king, not for Belshazzar. And had he been in the will of Yahweh, his life might have been spared, but instead he was boasting in his arrogance, and he was destroyed for it. James says boasting in his arrogance is evil. Let's look at verse 17. It says, So for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Now, this is an attitude of defiance. James is talking about a person who believes in Yahweh, believes in his sovereign will, and believes Yahweh controls all. He knows what is right, but he just flat out doesn't do it. That's a high-handed sin, Matthew, Matthew would say. It's like saying, Yahweh, I know who you are. I even know, the, I know what you want for me. But I have better plans than that today. I think I'm going to do what I want to do. This is someone who is attempting to remove Yahweh from his sovereign throne and make themselves the boss. See Yahweh's will is what's good and see Yahweh's will is what's good in verse seventeen. So it could say like this So for the person who know to knows to do Yahweh's will, keeping his instruction and his word, and doesn't do it, for that person it's sin. And rightly so. And John first John chapter three and verse four, it says everyone who who commits sin breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. So it's very simple. If you're Yahweh's child, you know that you have to do His will, right? It's, it's that simple. Everyone who will enter the kingdom must do the will of the Father. Must do the will of the Father. That's Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, not everyone who, do, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father will be in heaven. And what is the will of the Father? Well, Matthew chapter seven twenty-three. It tells us what's not the will of the Father because it tells us who won't enter the kingdom. It says, Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who break the law, you lawbreakers. So by deductive reasoning, the law keepers are the ones who are doing the will of Yahweh. That's his children. And so for us today, if we don't obey his word, it's sin. And we're not in his will. It is sin for everyone who doesn't obey his word. Sin, sin. Sin's for everybody. If you, if you break his law, you don't obey his word, that's sin. But it seems that there may be a greater punishment for those who know the will of their father and don't do it. That's a high-handed sin. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 46, listen to, listen to what, what's going on right here. And I'll start in verse 45. It says, But if that slave says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female slaves and to eat and drink and get drunk, that slave's master, this is verse 46, it says, That slave's master will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That's what he says will happen to those who know to do good and don't do it. If you're Yahweh's child, you should know his will. Think about Jonah. You know that man that took a short ride on a long fish? Think about Jonah. You, you know that he absolutely, absolutely knew his father's will. He was told specifically what to do. Go to Nineveh and preach. He just ignored it. He knew what he was supposed to do. 
And we all know what it costed him. Or what about the people Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, where it says, because they didn't think it worthwhile to have Yahweh in their knowledge, he handed them over to a reprobate mind to do all that which is immorally wrong. That's not where we want to be today. I want to please my Creator. He's my Master, and He has paid a precious, precious price to redeem my soul. Why wouldn't I consider Him in everything I do? Why wouldn't I make sure that my plans didn't interfere with His instructions? That's how we're to consider Yahweh and what we do. The final point is this. If you're walking in Yahweh's will, He will be in the center of your plans, and then your desires will be His desires. A true believer, one who passes the test James has given us, is one who seeks Yahweh's counsel first and then obeys the counsel with all his heart. Let's stand and close. We'll finally begin the last chapter in James, chapter 5, next week, if Yahweh wills. Father Yahweh, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings, Father. I thank you for your mercy and your kindness and your grace, Father. I thank you for your long-suffering. Yahweh, you know that we need it. Father, I just pray that you'll continue to bless us as we study your word and, and um, help us to be mindful of your will more so than our own. Father, I pray that we'd put you first and make you the center focal point of everything we do, Father, that we would consult you and your will before we before we make any steps or any moves or plans for the future. Father, I just pray that you're honored and glorified by our life and that our actions uplift you and uplift your son and not ourselves, Father. We love you so much. We're so thankful for your son and all that he accomplished here on the earth. And, Father, I'm thankful for your plan that he was in it. Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory today, Father. I pray that you'd bring us back here safe next week and uh, let us be a light into the world when we're not here. Father, we ask all this in your holy son's name. Amen.